You're listening to the Bass Lessons Melbourne podcast, episode 13, Mark Perrick. Craig from Bass Lessons Melbourne here. Um, today for our bass player um, profile video, we've got Mark Perrick in. Thanks for coming down, Mark. No worries. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. Um, he's brought down a couple of his Pavel basses, which are lovely. Yes, very nice. Um, but maybe first off, you could tell us a little bit about how you got started playing the bass. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, well, for me, it started um, in 1992, I think. I was um, in high school, and uh, actually I grew up in church, so um, they were uh, looking for someone to uh, play piano, actually, and I, I rocked up to the rehearsal, and they said, uh, and I, I stood behind the piano, and I didn't really know how to play, and they went, okay, maybe you should try playing this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I strapped on the bass, and there was a girl there um, that playing at the time called Michelle, and she was like, okay, this song has this note, that note, and that note, and then it goes to that one, and, you know, and so I literally was like, okay, kind of, you know. And that's literally how it started, and then I played, like, that night, and then I... Then you had, like, a tour booked. And yeah, <laughs> and I played, like, every week for the next five years kind of thing, and, and, um, and it, I took off, like, really quick, you know. Wow. It was, it was yeah. really cool. Uh, I started, I was grade 11, was, like, in the rock band, um, you know, in Queensland, it was like Battle of the Bands. My first year playing, I got like the runner-up best bass player. And then the ne the second year, I won it, and I was like totally pumped. So it kind of, and that was great at the time, because it gave me this kind of, I don't know, it was like, yes, this is what I want to do with my life, mm. you know. And um, and I sort of haven't really looked back. Yeah. And uh, so a combination of from there was just like playing in church a lot and then getting more into gigs and then eventually wanting to play more complex music, I guess, and met, you know, local guys in Brisbane that were, like, into jazz, and and um, then I realised I can't do that, so can you show me how to do that, you know? And uh, so, yeah, that's... And the journey continues, you know, I'm still, yeah. like, trying to figure out how this sure. thing works. Was there... Was there um, did you have, like, a mentor or a teacher? Or yeah, well, like the that? first first guy that mentored me was a guy <coughs> called um, Pete, Peter, um, and he, um, he, he was a guy that, um, was at my church and he had like a tune based maniac and like, you know, those Japanese made, it was it's a company called Tune oh, okay. and it was a Japanese made bass. And for me, that was bass like, maniac. bass maniac. Yeah. And, and, um, he, it, that was like the bass for me. And so I saved up all my dollars one time and went and bought the exact same one, the same color. Cause you know, he could, he could play like, um, you know, he was into like all that sort of thing, and I was like, "Whoa, what is that?" You know, and he did, did these really cool things with his right hand, like he'd go stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and I was like, "What are these tricks?" You know, and so he was he was um, inspired me and showed me all of the, everything he knew. You know, and um, yeah, still um, Peter Mac. You know, he's just yeah. like. My, one of my heroes, yeah, cool. and then I eventually got into another guy who was a big in the like Christian gospel world, called Luke Anderson, and he played like 
the Yamaha TRB5 string, and he was like the man. And um, and um, he knew all the notes. He could play all the notes. And uh, you know, eventually got to meet him, got to know him, and he's still like he's still a good friend. Still inspires me. He's like a uh, school teacher now. Okay. Can still play. Still awesome. But he was like really into groove. So he was the guy for me that like focused all my enthusiasm yeah, yeah. and energy into he was like you need to learn to groove you know and I went to some of his like <clears throat> workshops and stuff like that and he was and you know I was like oh that's the bass that he used on that album and you know all that sort of thing and he was like you can touch it if you like you know and so I was playing his Yamaha and it was like you know this ginormous string spacing and I was like wow this is the bass like that adults play you <laughs> know <laughs> so um, Maybe when I grew up, I yeah, I was like, one day when I grow up, I want to be a bass player, you know. <laughs> and um, so yeah, he's still very encouraging, and like you know, he came and he's come to gigs that I've had mm -hmm. on, and and um, yeah, very inspirational. So like from you know being crowned best bass player in year twelve, <laughs> then did best you bass go player in the room? Yeah, <laughs> bass player on that gig. Yeah. Um, did you then? Did you then go and study like? Um, well, I tried. I tried. I thought the natural thing to do would be, you know, go to the con and all that. Yeah. But I think the con was probably too early in my. I wasn't good enough. Like at right. the, like I'd only been playing for like two years, and okay. I and at my audition, you know, there's like this legend, legend called um, Viv Milton, I think his name is, and he was like, "Okay, can you play? Let's play through this song." I can't remember what the song was, but it was like a jazz tune, and I'd never played a jazz tune. Okay. So he was like, "Well, this is a jazz course, and if you want to get into the jazz course, you should." <laughs> like know a little bit about jazz and like so I had technique and I had and I knew like I knew the major scale and stuff like that but um he was like well maybe maybe come back next year and yeah. and after that I'm like I'm never studying you know like because I failed I didn't get in and so yeah. I, you know I thought study's not for me and I spent a couple of years just not studying and just sort of doing what my ears told me but then I ran into the 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 brick wall of harmony and you know all these sounds that I couldn't identify and didn't know what to play. Mm. And I was just, the more sort of uh, complex music that I came across, I realised I couldn't do it, you know. And so that actually, it, I became internally motivated then to figure this out. And then I had, um, you know, lessons with, uh, so no formal training, just had lessons with guitar players, um, like a good friend of mine in Brisbane, uh, well, actually I got quite a few good guitar player friends and I was just that annoying guy that was like, um, show, me show me this, show me that, what are you playing on that? And, and you know, luckily for me, they're all <clears throat> nice enough to say, like, indulge me and yeah, say, yeah. you know, um, this is how it works and, you know, they'd be drawing me diagrams and, and so for me, I didn't get all that stuff very easily and it didn't happen fast at all, you know. Yeah. Like, I've been playing for 20 years and it's only been, like, the first 10 years was just, whatever came naturally in the second 10 years has been hard work you know yeah. and so in a sense I still study like I'm studying and I still study yeah. you know um and I'm you know constantly like learning how to play um you know chord changes and phrase better and, mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff which I don't think comes naturally to a lot of bass players um if it's your only instrument yeah because you don't like for me I didn't have any chordal context I knew major and minor and that was about it you know um and so when it came time to improvise, I, I just had very limited options, yeah. you know. Because yeah. Um, yeah. as bass players, we spend so much of our time not playing melodic phrases. We play 
repetitive patterns, one rhythmic time, patterns. rhythmic patterns, you know. So when it comes time to break away from that and you know, think like a sax player or think like a singer. Yeah. It's you a total think, brain yeah. switch, you know, whereas Nuts. piano players and guitar players and sax players are at least dabbling in that all the time, but we are not. We're yeah. so far removed from Absolutely. And, you know, I noticed a lot of bass players that could play like that, like, you know, like Mike Pope and these mm. guys, they played piano like a genius, yeah. you know, or they played, you know, these other guys that play other instruments yeah. so well. And so they had this harmonic transfer of knowledge, mm. which I just didn't have. You know, so I ended up actually learning to play guitar okay. purely for the harmonic right. quality, you know. Yeah. And I'm not the world's best guitarist or anything, but, um, you know, I can play, like I play, learn all the chords and, you know, all the jazz chords and all the inversions just purely so that I could understand the sound. Like to learn a sound, you've got to sit with the sound and, and hear it over and over and then be able to identify it, you know. And um, like for example, you know, like a dominant chord, a seven, like sharp eleven or something. For me, that was like an unknown entity. Right. And then someone's like, "No, you just got to sit with it long enough to be able to identify it," you mm -hmm. know. And then after a while, like you sit with it. And, and I was, at first, I'm like, "Oh, that sounds doesn't sound right," because I'm just used of this sort of Western, like in in what's it called, like mo diatonic modal, just suspended all. That to me was like, oh, that's wrong. It's just wrong, yeah. you know. But no, you sit with it long enough, and you know what it is. Then you hear it everywhere, yeah. you know. So then it's just a matter of like accumulating sounds into your vocabulary, mm. you know. And so I'm still in that process of just absorbing sounds and figuring out what to play over it when I hear it. And yeah, yeah. Cool. and it, you know, at that time um, when you were getting your stuff together, was there some albums or specific bass players that kind of did some light bulb moments or you were like that would be yeah um i discovered what i discovered was there was people who i liked because i had no idea what they were doing mm. like gary willis like was so into gary willis loved everything that he did um because i just didn't understand it you know he had a light this light touch and just very complex pattern like yeah. rhythmically rhythmically complex harmonically complex didn't understand what he was doing mm. Like even when he's still when he solos now, I just think I just think, wow, that's just so cool, unusual, yeah. you know. Yeah. But then there was players like Victor Wooten, who was still amazing, but I related <clears> to him because <throat> I felt like he was playing something I would play, okay. you know. Yeah. Um, probably from a similar trajectory, like learning, he was like, you know, grew up playing simpler music, yeah. and he was, you know, and yeah, yeah, and then like he got good at that and then he's just like gone on from there yeah. and so when he was slapping like his first solo album show of hands that ever came out um you know i had to pr like order that special import cd you know 47 dollars. yeah it was like <laughs> it cost me like 50 dollars. yeah and i i remember putting it on and because you've generated that sense of expectation i put it on and i was like literally crying you know i was like this is amazing you know and um and i'm like couldn't believe that he was doing all that one time, yeah. you know, and so that just instantly set me in a different direction. It was like, okay, that's like the benchmark, you know, and so um, it got me into just experimenting, you know, with the, all the chords, yeah. all this stuff, and then um, like to, you know, just that was like very basic at the time, but for me it was revolutionary to yeah. like to, you know. Well, you're doing harmony and bass line at the same time. Yeah, and so then I was just, you know, mucking around with it. And the more that I learnt harmony, I started sort of using the technique but branching it out into more harmony and, you know, you know, um, 
and so yeah, it was just that was just the progression for me. And then, you know, I loved all the guys that we all love: mm. Marcus Miller, Patatucci. You know, I was just obsessed with them. Stanley. Yeah, mostly. Like, I mean, I did. I love Stanley, but um, I think I might have missed it. Like, as in, just age-wise, I think yeah, he was yeah. maybe just a bit before my time. I obviously discovered him later, um, and yeah, but love him, but at, at the, it wasn't my obsession yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah. Sure. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about your involvement with the uh, Gospel Chops guys, because you were on yeah. one of the sheds yeah. sessions, um, is that right? Yeah. So the first base one. Yeah, um, I met um, a lot of those guys that are on the DVD and that, uh, and the producer Gerald. I met them at the name show, right? And um, you know, there's some embarrassing videos of me on YouTube. You know, when I met those guys, okay. you can watch them yeah. in all their embarrassment. But um, you know, so that, that was great. You know, like going to the name show, getting to meet guys like that. And um, I think they, I don't know, it was just like a something resonated, and we all actually just got on as people mm. and as friends. You know, and we're so hanging out. Like when you go to the name show, you you don't just sort of play and then not talk to each other you know you hang out and you like and because you're all there's an excitement in the air about being there for starters but then you know you all love the same thing so you're just obsessively talking about bases and and like who your influences are and yeah. and you're we watching like this thing's a thousand yeah <laughs> yeah like the, yeah and so uh you know he was like back then he was like okay sometime in the future i want you to play on one of my dvds and i was like awesome and um i didn't forget about it but i, I just went home and and then a lot of time passed and then eventually he was like hey I'm recording it um, this this January coming you know are you going to be at the NAMM show and I was like yeah, I can be there if you want you know so I just showed up um, and just had no idea of what to expect you know which is kind of the point of those things right he doesn't want he, he deliberately doesn't tell you what's okay. going to happen he doesn't make any plans he just throws you in the room with these other guys and says you know make something happen and uh, it was just such a an awesome experience on so many levels and scary at the same time mm. I was very nervous you know shaking I mean I can't even Jeez. watch it because because it brings back those feelings and, and uh, just knowing like I wanted to have done it so much better in hindsight right but there's more than just playing the instrument when you're there there's like you've got nerves and you're with all these guys that you look up to yeah. and so you know you're playing with these guys and you're not even thinking about what you're doing you're thinking oh he's watching me and he's watching me and you know so because who was on there was a Damien Nelskin no the, the one I was on was um with um Brandon Brown he plays with the Jacksons and okay. a whole bunch of people like that and um uh, Anthony Crawford who plays with you know Virgil Donati and yeah. Holdsworth and and um a young guy called Josh Young he's from Boston I think and um and like technically, I just I realized very quickly I, I can't do what those guys do. You know, these right. guys are on like a crazy level of just technical virtuosity. You right. know, chord changes, you know, speed. speed. Um, so in one sense, it was amazing because um, I felt like I could be there with my own voice. But then mm. at the same time, it's intimidating because you you don't do what those yeah. guys do. Somebody tosses you the ball and yeah, and so you, you yeah, and so. Of course, hindsight, you're like, oh, yeah, I'd play that differently. And, yeah, at the time. But that's, you know, that's the, the lessons that are, um, that are most valuable to me because now I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, when I get into these situations, you've got to have a deeper well. 
you know, you've got to be able to actually play on autopilot in a sense, you know, because if you are nervous, you've got to be able to just trust that you can do it. Yeah. And I don't think I trusted myself enough okay. to be able to just come out and play. So, yeah, I mean, I still, like, it was a great experience and, um, you know, everyone seems to like it. But I think personally, like, you know, like you say, we're all our worst crit own worst critic and just push myself a lot harder. Now I'm like, like, I practice with a bit more focus, you know, um, what are, like, it shows you what your weaknesses are and, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. So and was, it, was that a similar thing with the, the Wooden tour when Vic took him out? Yeah, that um, for me was, you know, it was the best and the best opportunity and it was the best and worst thing to happen at yeah. the same time because I'm playing with with my my hero, like the top hero, base yeah. idol yeah. of all time for me, you know. Yeah. Um, he was like the guy. And um, so it was mentally just very, very challenging, yeah. you know. Like I remember having <clears throat> like, you know, I remember I was like having a shower before the show and I and I just like it turned into like a 45 minute shower I was just like paralyzed you know like wow. um and it so I, yeah again I learned a lot about myself like my yeah. internal struggles my insecurities and all that sort of stuff and he was actually great because I think you think of the power that someone like that has over you like yeah. the, what they could do to you yeah. they could, like if, if Victor was an insecure yeah if, yeah if he was an insecure guy he could have just smashed me and I would never have played the bass ever again yeah but instead, he just totally took the time and encouraged me. And he was like, he could tell what I was struggling with because I was just like literally shaking like a leaf. He could probably also see what your strengths were as well. So he, he was like, and he was like, oh, you're really good at this and really good at that. And you've got great technique with this. And he was like, why don't you try this? And like gave me some really specific yeah, advice. Right. And a lot of it actually, he was like very little ba um, base talk. Like it mm -hmm. was actually all mental because... He could tell that that's what my personal struggle was, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so um, we played like four shows um, the first the first time, and and um, the first show in Brisbane, which was my hometown, I was an absolute nervous wreck, you know. And uh, like it, it was okay, like I played okay, yeah. but you know I can't actually remember what I played because I might I was in mentally just uh, just another world. And was it just you? It was just me by no myself. Backing drums. No, man. so you know I had me and my looper, and I'm standing in front of like 300 bass players. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's crazy. With Victor Wooten. With Victor Wooten in the crowd, you know. I mean, it's, it's like it's like a dream drum come true, but is it a nightmare of a dream, or is it? I felt like it was both at the same time. Yeah. You know, like yeah, I almost like I almost didn't want to do it, you know. But then I'm like, I can't not do this, you know. Yeah. Knowing so it's kind of like doing something, and you know you're going to fall on your face in a way, you know, but you know you have to do it. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't, for me, it wasn't about like showing anyone how good it was. It was like this is a personal challenge, yeah. and this is going to teach me something. Of you know, I'm going to take something away from this that's going to make me better. Yeah. You know. So yeah. now I'm I feel like I'm a lot better. Excellent. Yeah. You know. Um, you just had trial by fires. Yeah, <laughs> which is the best way to learn, right? It's the best way to learn. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, by the time we hit Adelaide, which was our last show, I still wasn't like dealing with the pressure that well yeah you know and he could see it so he was like he took a lot of time to help me through this kind of emotional turmoil <laughs> and, he, and he did these like little exercises with me he was like here's all your emotional baggage you know put it in this bag and then just like leave it here and then go out and play and don't play to that one 
person who's not actually even there. Like he was saying, who's that person that you play to that intimidates you? They're not here right now. You're like, no, he is here because he's talking to me right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, for me, they're like some of my friends, you know, from where I grew up, right. you know, that that's for some reason you're still mentally trying to impress them. Yeah. You know, and um, so in my mind, they're at all my gigs. Those, it's like the jazz police. The jazz police are at all my gigs, yeah. you know. And so I went out to Adelaide, in, in Adelaide, and I had a massive breakthrough. I didn't play... Probably note-wise, I didn't play too much different, but the way I felt yeah. was totally different because he was like, he let he gave me like permission to put all my emotional baggage and leave wow. it backstage, and he gave me this awesome advice. He just said, you know, when you're playing, don't play to the one percent. Um, play to the ninety-nine percent who just want to hear music. Such a deep cat. He's a deep cat. Wow. And he's like, you need to give yourself somewhere to go. You come out of the gun, the gates blazing. Like, you know, I was like, I'd literally come out on the stage and I'm like. You know, and, and he's like, you can't take that anyway, man. You know, he's like, and, and he's like, you just got to start way, way down. And, and, and like, do and you, I mean, you knew that, but I knew that, you but somebody to tell you you, well. yeah. And like, that's the thing. You, we all know these things. Yeah. Um, but I still do, for whatever reason, I have to remind myself all the time, you know, like even now when I improvise, I have yeah. to, I have an inner dialogue and I have to like tame the beast, you know, so Huge lessons to learn, yeah. you know. Um, so I guess kind of connected to that, like if you could go back and give, you know, 20-year-old Mark some advice, what would that be? Um, it would probably be like, there'd be like two kinds of advice. It'd be like the just the technical musical side would yeah. be to have focus in your practice, you know. I would transcribe more, like, because, mm. you know, you've got to kind of get this vocabulary under your fingers and it doesn't actually happen automatically. Even if you just practice scales all day, you don't learn phrasing, you know. You've got to, um, excuse me, um, you've got to take who you want to sound like and sort of emulate them to some degree yeah, to, for sure. you know. And so I've done that later in life and I'm doing it more and more now, um, you know. But I just didn't have that in my mind back then, you know. I just thought that somehow... If you're good, you just magically sort of come out good and you don't, you know. Um, if you have all the ingredients, you make an amazing cake. Not yeah, nice. no, you don't yeah. just like chuck the eggs in with the shells on and, you know, just mix it all together. Yeah. Um, but then I would, you know, that's slightly the musical advice, but then I, I, I would give myself advice about the whole mental approach to music. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some people struggle with it more and less more than others. But for me, I'm, a, I'm an introverted person. Mm -hmm. Like the, I know I have friends who are like real extroverts and they probably don't think about this stuff. Yeah. They just go out and they love being in the limelight. Mm -hmm. They just love to show off. And not in a negative way, they just, that's how they express themselves, you know. But for me, I, I struggle being with eyes on me, you know. So yeah. I would um, give myself some advice to say, learn how to deal with that, you know. Right. Um, and for me, that's been just a process of learning to be still and, you know, um, mental quiet, mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you say then would be really key qualities for being a good bass player? 
Um, well, if you're going to play this instrument, I think obviously technique plays some part in it. Um, so, I mean, you can you can play at its basic, most basic form, like like you can play like that if you want. But if you want to be able to execute your ideas, you know, you need to develop some sort of technique. Although I wouldn't say you need to solely just focus on that. Um, um, for me, my technique just like serves a greater purpose now. Yeah. Um, but so to be a good bass player, I think what I'm learning is, um, well, the way I like to do it is just like I like to play low and steady and just like groove as hard as I can. Okay. You know, clear. Like I like to play clear, control over every note. Mm. You know, so there's you know there's lots in tied up in that the sound and and. Um, mm. And all and all that, but but more than that, I think it's like listening. So, like for example, I did a gig this last week with this amazing guitar player, and he he could play some harmonically very complex things. And I realised for me, I I like this is where I realised I've um, improved as a bass player. Is he can play something, and I know what he's playing, okay. and I can respond to yeah. it. So listening in that sense is because I think what I used to do when I was younger was play my own thing. I'd be grooving, but I'd just, not really listening, you know, yeah. so I'd just be like locked in, I'm like, yeah, I'm, this is grooving hard. But, so now it's more of this awareness of what's going on around me. Mm. And um, that's like super important, I think. Um, you know, some people like, if they're improvising, they like you to sort of go with them a bit totally, and yeah. you go with them rhythmically and harmonically and dynamically up and down with them. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's what's exciting about music, I think. Yeah, cool. So, yeah. So kind of playing, Focus on playing bass in its purest sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the and the technical facility is really just it's a it's a tool to help you execute whatever it is you want to do. Yeah, and just for me, okay. it's about being good enough. My technique being good enough that I don't have to think about it, and it's not like an impediment or yeah. impediment, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think that's the word. Sure. But um. Yeah, because I think up until a certain point, I would actually be at a gig thinking about, like, I'd be like, you know, like concentrating on, oh, my fingers are there, and, yeah. you know, okay, there's, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, all this, whatever. Um, and now I I do all the thinking at home mm -hmm. so that I don't have to do the thinking on the gig, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the main. Yeah, I mean, this is that famous Miles Davis quote, you know, don't bring what you've done in the practice room to stage. Don't play what you've played before. Yeah. That's actually really difficult. Yeah. You know, because, like, how many of us, we learn a lick, you know, um, and you just can't wait to try that lick, you know. Exactly. You know, so it can, like, that kind of puts your practice in perspective as well, like, thinking about it like that, because you want it to be, depending on the circumstances, mm -hmm. of course. I mean, if you're learning a, a set of cover songs, then you are going to play what you practice. But yeah. if you're in an improvisational element <clears throat> with real live musicians then it's probably not always going to be appropriate to play what it is you've been practicing with no. in that context no because then to a degree you're, you're not really listening yeah. you know you've got this pre preempted yeah. thing you're going to play no matter what anyone else is playing yeah. you know it's tough though it is tough yeah. yeah um yeah it's a challenge For sure. definitely a challenge um so you want to tell us a little bit about your axe? Yeah, this um, this is a bass made by a guy called Pavel de La Fuente, and he's from um, Dallas, Texas. And uh, he just like helped me to build a jazz bass that worked for me, basically. Um, he has a, this stock model called the Jazz Pro, and 
It was really good. I just wanted to, I've, I guess over time I've figured out what works and what doesn't work for me and I was just was simply asked him, I was like, can you make these tweaks for me? And he was like, yep, yeah, no worries. So that's as simple as it was. He was like, so I wanted a jazz bass without a scratch plate um, and you're, you've got the perfect <laughs> example right here. Yeah. So when you take the, the scratch plate off more like a more traditional because you're my hero and I saw it and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I wish I had Mark's bass. <laughs> so when you take that off, you know, you you can think your fingers right under there. You yeah. know, um, it's uncomfortable. And and so I realised that this is like a workbench for me. I need yeah. my fingers to be able to touch yeah. it. And when I touch it, see how my, my fingers like yeah. kept the right on the string. So when it's not like that, you got it's like your workbench is missing. Yeah. You know, so I just I found that like some people call that the deck height, the strings okay. with the height off the the deck, I guess. And um, so for me. I was like, okay, how can I reduce the deck height? And he was like, well, you just sink the neck further in the body. And so for me, I've only got the width of the fretboard sticking out of the body. Mm. Um, and yeah. I wonder why more lithiers don't take that into account when they do Maybe. pickguard or not. Is it because it takes more resetting of tools or? I think it's. Because I've got a couple of natural bases and has the same issue. Yeah. I think it's um, something, unless you're like a really like really player. an actual player that really plays it you wouldn't notice it because uh, i guess maybe a lot of the measurements and specs are still taken from fender yeah so it's like, vintage specs so it's yeah. like well you want a jazz bass this is your your template for a jazz bass and then scratch play, and, it just, and like i mean i still like this to me is a vintage instrument but it's tweaked enough for me to be able to play it more like a modern instrument yeah you know and i think a lot of people play more vintage instruments and there's there's a good reason they can't do a lot of the things on them that they want to do, you yeah. know. And it's sometimes it's just purely physical and practical things, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, this has got um, reinforcement in the neck, so the neck doesn't bend as much. So it's um, the string tension is a little bit tighter. Yeah, you know. Thirty-four. Thirty-four. Yeah, and um, and I think it makes a difference to the the B string. Like when I play, you know. Um, the low notes are really solid, mm. and like I notice it especially when I'm recording. You know, there's not a big difference. Like I've had basses where you play the E string, and then you play any note on the the B string, and it just kind of goes. Yeah. You know. Sounds different. Sounds different. Tones different. Yeah. You know, and so you like especially in recording, I've owned basses where you avoid playing those notes. Yeah. Like you would never play if you're in E flat, you would just wouldn't play any a low E flat because it just right. sounds like wrong. Where on this, you know, I can. And that's what you want. You want your tool to just be you know, even. Whatever you hear in here, you can transfer it here, and you don't have to right. want to go. Oh, I don't want to play. It looks like it's a quite narrow string spacing down yeah. there. Like maybe almost similar to this actually. Yeah. Um, and it really just comes down to that I don't have big hands. Yeah. You know, so um, a lot of the instruments that I've played, like, you know, like I was saying, my hero, my mentor played at Yamaha TRB. Mm. When I played it, I felt like I was playing a grown-up space yeah. because it was like it was like this is like a ladder. You know, it's like yeah. humongous string spacing. And um, I don't have big hands, so yeah. um, it took me a long time to just figure that out, <laughs> you know. So many bass players do, and we, we were talking about this the other week with David Searle. Mm -hmm. He was like, oh, I shouldn't matter the size of your hands, and, and I'm like, okay. some pe I guess some people it does, you know. But you look at, I mean, Jacko had massive hands, Victor's got massive hands, Larry Graham's got huge hands. Um. <laughs> well, it does, it makes a difference to me just because I've tried enough of them to know. You know, yeah. so I play like, you know, MTD 35 inch scale yeah. and it's not so much here. 
it's it's when you're like it's when you're down, down here, here yeah, you exactly. know. Um, so I've got a 33 inch scale base, and um, that one over there, and it's like it's way more compact and yeah. way more easier for me to play. Yeah. You know, and the B string on it is is really great. Um, it's got thinner, you know, thinner string spacing, and um, it feels. This is tighter than that. Yeah. Um, I think this is 18. 18, and I think there might be like 17. I think even on my next one, I may even go closer, like fractionally closer again, you know. On your next one? I don't know. I love David Searle's basses, so <laughs> I was like, I might get him to make me something. I went to his um, studio, <clears throat> and he's got like 10 of them all sort of set up there. How many did he um, bring here? He brought, he brought, must have been eight. I must, he must have brought them all over then. Yeah, he yeah, I just couldn't get over how good they were. Yeah. Um, like, attention to detail, because, you know, he's a jeweler and stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, just the clarity. And I think there's a real benefit to being able to, to play when someone says, oh, well, this is a, an ash bass and this is a mahogany bass and yeah. this is a maple bass, and you can actually pick it up and... And the, yeah, the, the wange one, the one yeah. with the wange neck. Could you hear the, the, the things that these basses have in totally, common? Yeah, yeah. So they picked it up and went, boom, oh. That's what wind sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm still discovering. Like I've had lots of options of woods. So, you know, yeah. I've had Federas and MTDs, and and um, and the wood makes a huge difference. So I'm still. Yeah. I think I'm gonna my next base because I've got ash bases. I think I'm gonna go back to older, either older for the lightness, and you get this huge bottom end, yeah. or maple because of the the. I used to have this um, Spectre base, and it was just flame maple body solid flame maple body and um it was just the growliest fattest thing ever and yeah. the bait the slap sound did wasn't thin right so i kind of like that it's a very modern yeah. sound and this is very vintage so i feel like i've got my vintage sounds I think that's still got it's definitely a modern element to it yeah for it's, sure. it's very snappy the the it's very like I always think of like Marcus Miller and his razor sharp kind of yeah. highs. This but is but kind it's of got the, the bottom end is it's more kind of tight and controlled than mm. perhaps the vintage ones would be. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and and then for me as well, this is just set up so well that it, yeah. it's so much easier to play. Yeah. You know, like when I, you know, just thumb in a note, I don't have to like hammer it. You know. And a lot of my t my technique personally is based on um, coordination, not strength as as much, you know. So, so like I play, you know, notes like this, and um, if the bass is set up too high, I can't actually press the note. Okay. So, and like it comes in handy because like you know I'll do things like stuff yeah. like that, and this bass makes that super easy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like that K eight cut thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's where it... So Kai is another guy that I love. You know, he's got all these solo albums, all that chordal slapping, yeah. you know, uh, all that stuff. Yeah, I love that. Just... Yeah. So um, I just take, like, simple ideas from all these guys that I like, yeah. and then I just fiddle with it until it's my own. Yeah. So, you know, like, I, so I, the Kai Eckhart thing mixed with Victor, for me, is what... It's like... You know, that sort mm. of thing. And... Um, yeah, so this bass kind of allows me to do that, and um, I think the only reason I would like keep experimenting with other basses is because there's other tonal things that I'm looking for. Like when I'm playing more like fusion style, yeah. this is like almost like too subby, and 
it's not that it's not clear, it's just like you need more of that mid-range bite yeah. to be heard in fusion yeah. music. You know? And it's not, not necessarily a preamp mid-range bite, no, it's, a it's, wood, it's a wood, yeah, it's a pick definitely up a wood combination yeah. mid-range bite. Thing, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, it's interesting, you know, um, when you get to our development in bass playing, you realise there is no one bass does no. it all. Yeah. Which justifies the collection. Yeah, I, that's <laughs> that's why I need a new one. Yes, <laughs> of course. Totally. Um, so, is there anything that you're um, working on and you're playing at the minute? Like, yeah, um, I'm working on a few technique things. Um, what I have done in the past for a long time is, you know, I'll be playing like traditionally, like I just play with two fingers most of the time, um, and I would keep my thumb just there the whole time. Um, but what I've discovered lately is sometimes, if, especially if I'm improvising, which is why this little, the um, groove gear thing yeah. comes in handy, is if, if I take that off and I'm like playing like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll have these ringy, because this string, these strings aren't being muted. Yeah. So I'm trying to like rehash my technique a little bit to be able to move my thumb like that. Right, and yeah. It sounds so simple, but when it like it's like you're so used to doing something. For for me, it's like twenty years of yeah, doing yeah, something a certain way, sure. and now it's like a problem I have to solve. Yeah, I had so. the same thing um, about two or three years ago, where I, I kind of noticed the same thing. It's when you when you're doing a lot of recording as well. You've got the rumble going on. Like, yeah, and yeah, just moving your thumb from pickup to B string, and then muting the E. Yeah, and the and the B John like Pat that. Pat Fucci has this whole thing, like he's like got fingers that mute strings like yeah. this. Yeah, I think Jacko used to use his I just, pinky. I just don't, can't do that for some reason. So yeah, like, and you never got into like the kind of free stroke thing. I do. Floating, I, um, floating thumb. Or? I can do it. To, like I can. I I love to practice. Like I do this thing right. So this becomes my mute. Yeah. Which is great. I love it. I would play like that all the time if I could. But when I get into a gig situation, me like the <laughs> playing like this, I just play it like I play at a certain um, tonally is different. Yeah, and like I play with a certain strength, which yeah. which I dig in. You know, I dig in when I play. Yeah. When I'm playing like this, I just can't dig in as much, yeah. and um, it just it doesn't work. I don't know why. It's yeah. like this. It's like a mental relaxing thing, or so I'm just, I'm actually in the process of trying to figure out how I can use this more. Because at home I can do it all day. Yeah. But on the gig, it's, you know, yeah, it's like... <laughs> out come the big guns. Yeah, so um, working it out. And, and yeah, like I, I am always trying to, I'm trying to work on how to incorporate my, my four fingers more. Because I can do this quite naturally. You know, um, yeah. but I'm trying to work out how to incorporate it so it's not just like a flurry, like it's an actual. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 actually really hard. So. <laughs> yeah. Just something. Exactly. Like, you know that kind of thing. It ends up just being a, a rhythmic effect. Effect. Yeah. Yeah, like you, you'll see guys like Hadrian do it. He'll be like blistering, and then he'll just yeah. go. Yeah. You know, I mean, I do it too. It's awesome, but <laughs> but I want to be able to like translate it into a way of playing. Like Dominic Di Piazza can do it. Like right. he does yeah. it, but he plays with real. Like he must have just like really strong fingers because he can just say. He plays like. You know, like. Ah oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder if Gary Lewis would be similar. He he is, but he's got this whole thing, right, where he turns his amp up. Yeah. Plays very soft all the time, which yeah. takes is very controlled. For some yeah. reason, I don't have that much self control, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's just a. And the, and the ramp, how does that? Yeah. Uh, so for me, the ramp is basically makes me feel like I've got um, one big pickup. Okay. So if I'm playing like this on the B string, I can not limited just to having my thumb there or there, I can just move it. Because sometimes, like, depending on the day, the string tension just feels great to me here, and then the next day it'll be there and it'll feel really good. And then, mm. you know, and then for some things you'd, like, use different parts of the string for yeah. different sound, like, you know, you know, that sort of thing. And then if you're, like, soloing, you might be more on the towards the back. Yeah. You know, um... Just sort of feels consistent. Just, yeah, and then it also stops me just from pushing in too too much. So yeah, it's very makes it. Especially this, I actually can't do that this sort of thing without it. So and like when I'm playing like this. Um, yeah, it helps with consistency, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, you only you end up have this sort of motion like that, and you're only pushing in so hard, you know so far and if it's not there you your fingers are going in that far mm -hmm. and you like got a lot more of your finger getting hooked up under the string yeah so okay. all stuff to think about lots to think about um any advice for maybe young players starting out or people just picking up the bass yep if you if you'll know you'll know soon enough if this is the thing that you want to do and I knew, you know. Yeah. Um, some people, it's a hobby, and that's totally fine because there's something else that they do that's the thing, you know. Yeah. So decide if it's the thing or not, and then if it is the thing, then just do make yourself somehow make yourself do the work, yeah. you know. Um, like for me, it's uh, the fact that I love it that makes me like I don't feel like practice is practice, you know. Like I'll be at home yeah. just you know working on something. And it doesn't feel like practice, yeah. you know. Um, sometimes it does. It's not like every day is the same. But um, I just know that there are people who want to be good, and uh, and they don't actually put the time. They don't put the time in, and so they don't reap the rewards, you know. Because in that sense, I don't know if there's a huge difference between all of us, you know. Like in the sense of, um, I think some people just work harder than others, you know, have a better work yeah. ethic. Somehow they can make themselves pay the price, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I was like, you know, I had Yannick here a few weeks ago and he gets up at like 5.30. That's like six hours. a different kind of life, man. Like he's just as into tennis as he is into yeah. bass and he can push it. I can't personally push also myself quite that hard. Yeah. But, you know. You know, if you want to get stuff done. It's inspirational for sure. You just got to put in the work. <laughs> There's yeah. no shortcuts. And that's what I mean about the whole transcribing thing. And I think like I could be 10 times better than I am right now if I... Like, because I listen to, like, Pat Martino and Wes Montgomery and yeah. George Benson, like, they're my favourite guitar players, mm. but I haven't transcribed hardly anything yeah. of those guys, even though I know what they sound like yeah. and I have elements of my them in I my sound. It's a balance, though. It's, it's like, how much do you want to be that much better and yeah. how much do you value time with your daughter? Totally. And that's the thing. I'm a family man now, so uh, your goals change, your priorities change. Yeah. As, long, as long as you're cool with where you are and you're still moving forward to some degree... And I don't feel like a, I don't feel like, you know, being the best bass player in the world is like, it's not a thing for me anymore. Like, 
It's, it's there is no, but for some reason it drives us as young people. You know, like yeah. when you're younger, it drives you. Like you think, I'm going to be the best at something, and I'm going to. But that implies like you're going to be crushing other people. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be the best, and I'm just going to be like, psh, psh, you know, <laughs> get out of my way. But um, no, I'm just much more. Like for one, I embrace other people's playing because I understand how difficult it is. You know, like when I listen to you and I listen to your latest album, I'm like, that's incredible. You know, um, I just. I don't know, just learning to love it for what it is and not feel like it's a competition. I think going to the NAMM shows <laughs> showed me how much music is not meant to be a competition, you know, because yeah. now it's this thing, right? Everyone's, like, competing and they want to yeah. see so-and-so pitted against so-and-so and, you know, he can play faster than him but he has better harmonic complexity and it's just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't apply to the real world. NAMM show is sponsored by YouTube, essentially. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then you go and watch these people play at a gig and they're all incredible because they all do something like unique and exactly. yeah. you know that that's um the whole name thing the most exciting thing for me was going to the jam sessions yeah you know you could seeing all these guys do their thing and they're all like they all get everyone out of their seats every time like everyone's after a solo everyone's yeah. up on their feet cheering and I, mean, I think the best bit of advice that somebody gave me when i was starting out was there's always going to be somebody better than you in your head mm-hmm. you know there's always going to be somebody better than you probably somebody younger yeah. <laughs> um but take solace in the fact that nobody sounds exactly like you yeah. and if you're doing what you do good enough people will want that you know people's people will call you for you mm-hmm. not because you're better than yeah. anybody you know it's because they want your whatever it is that you do and it may not be blazing speed you know it may just be you are the guy at playing one well that's five, why there's all these guys five. right world famous <coughs> our heroes who they don't play um, blindingly fast, like and like Jimmy Johnson and like Jimmy Johnson can still play, yeah. but like he's he's not setting out to set land speed records on the fretboard, you know. No. He's um, and like all these guys, um, it's just not a Nathan, uh, Nathan East, you know, still like super musical, super amazing, yeah. you know, um, just different goals and priorities, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but look, they're the guys that are working, um, and yeah. you know, like getting the big gigs. You know, I'm pretty sure Nathan East is like a millionaire. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, yeah. and like I, I ran into Nathan East um, in Malaysia, just <laughs> totally by chance, wow. and he was the nicest guy. Like we just ran into each other in the market, and he was like, "Oh man, tell you know, tell me what you're doing, where are you playing?" And I was like, you know, like most guys just couldn't care, but um, he was just so super nice. And I'm like, that's why this guy is successful because yeah. he actually takes time and you, you'd want to ha- you'd want to be in a bus with him for like six months totally and he can nail the gig yeah, yeah. and um, to be honest that's why I actually, I think I get phone calls because of my me above my playing you know yeah. like yeah. I'm like I'm actually okay to hang out with you know like <laughs> yeah. in between gigs um, sets sorry we'll be like you know having a drink and having a laugh like yeah. I, th- I don't like the it's gig I did last week it was just a wedding gig you know yeah. but we were laughing our heads off like yeah. we had a great time well, wedding gigs you know you sometimes spend more time off the stage than you do on stage by yeah. the time you've gone through eight speeches and yeah. all that kind of stuff you know? and there's so much to poke fun at at a wedding <laughs> <laughs> you know? so yeah it's yeah Cool. Um, and is there Mark Perrick online presence that people can check out, like maybe get some music? Yeah, you can um, You can just go to markperrick.com, which is M-A-R-K-P-E-R-I-C.com. And um, I've got a few albums up there, and it's all free, you know. I've yep. um, got some really old stuff and some kind of semi-new stuff. 
but I'm yeah, I'm working on um, some new stuff at the moment. I, I kind of had last year off actually. It was like a just reassessing what I want to do because you know, like I'm like you say, I'm a dad now and mm. you're married and trying to run businesses and yeah. you know, it's um, you do graphic design, is that right? graphic and web design and right. you know, music production and all sorts of bits and pieces. I run a leatherware accessories business and okay. and it's like super fun. I love mixing it up you know yeah. it's great um but it just means that i don't have all day to sit around and practice and mm. you know so i had last year off yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's like my bass was in tune when i bought it so i shouldn't have to retune it you know but um yeah so now i'm i don't know like i'm 38 so i'm like gonna be hitting the four o soon and it just makes you think about things differently yeah. different goals now yeah um of course i want to get better so I had last year off trying to think about where is it that I want to go, what do I want to achieve, and I'm like, yes, bass is still the thing for me. So even though I probably did like five gigs last year, yeah. I said no a lot, you know, um, but on purpose, you know. Um, it's given me a new focus, and uh, now I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to do more of. Cool. And so I'm practicing and playing. Is it, and a, is it a Mark Perrick band? There has been. And I think there will be more. Yeah. Um, I did a really good gig. Um, one of the only gigs I did last year was my own band. It was up at um, Easterfest, um, which is up in Queensland. It's like a big festival they have. And they had like a festival inside the festival. It's kind of like Inception, you know. Um, it was like a Easter jazz. And um, they asked my band to play there. And it was really good. Like it was the, probably the first time I'd played my music the way I wanted to play it yeah. in with an actual audience. Yeah, cool. It was great. We yeah. had a lot of fun. Instrumental sort of mix of jazz, funk, fusion, just the way I hear it, you know, wrote all the tunes. Had people like Dave Tweedy come and play guitar and Sweet. just killed it. It was yeah. awesome. So I definitely wanted to do more of that. Um, Would that be Melbourne-based? Yeah, Melbourne. Yeah. I, like, because I, yeah, I live here now, so um, I think um, I'm going to do my best to sort of get more involved in the music seen down here yeah i've been yeah. here for five years but haven't done a lot right. so it's time to sort of get in it and do it yeah <laughs> so yeah um more focused and just yeah getting hopefully getting better as a person and a player and cool yeah awesome man thanks for having me fascinating thanks yeah. very much no worries. um thanks for watching guys um please subscribe and share and stay tuned for the next one see you next time Thank you.